Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Malawi steps up its fight against corruption. South Africa declares second wave of coronavirus as cases surge. In economics news, Zambia requests financing arrangement with the IMF. And in sports news, Namibia is set to benefit from Rugby Africa grants. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent. And impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. South Africa's Health Minister Zulim Kize says the country has breached the 6,000 mark in new daily cases in the last reporting period for the first time since August. Mkize says South Africa is officially in the second wave of the coronavirus. The death toll has risen to 22,574 after 135 COVID-19-related fatalities were recorded. Briefing the nation, Mkize said four provinces are the key drivers of the new wave, namely the Eastern Cape, Western Cape, KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng province. It's important for us to now recognize that this now is a second wave. The majority of the new cases are from Western Cape, and that is 30% of the positive cases today, followed by Eastern Cape, 24%, then Basulu Natal, 23%, and Gauteng province, which is 17%. Free State, Limpopo, Mpumalanga, and Northwest, each account for 1%. Northern Cape even accounted for less than 1%. Today, we've breached the 6,000 mark in terms of new cases, and the total new cases identified are 6,079, which are giving us a total of 828,592. The United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has raised concerns about wealthy countries procuring COVID-19 vaccines for their own citizens at the exclusion of others. Some African countries have, for example, indicated that they will only be able to access immunizations by the second quarter of next year, while more developed nations have moved with breakneck speed that could see millions vaccinated in certain countries before the end of the year. Guterres has warned that if Africa was not properly supported, then the world would not be able to fight the pandemic effectively. It's true we are seeing vaccine nationalism moving uh, with full speed and uh, the only way to guarantee to uh, the African continent uh, the vaccines that uh, the African continent needs and we all need because uh, if Africa is not properly supported we will not be able to fight the pandemic anywhere effectively. The only way is of course to make sure that the COVAX initiative that has gathered a large number of countries, but all the specialized institutions from the uh, World Health Organization to Gavi to um, uh, CEPI and to, to all the others, to make sure that the, the COVAX is financed. The National Election Commission in Ghana has announced that President Nana Akufo-Addo has won re-election with 51.59% of the vote, beating out his rival, the former president, John Mahama. Police say five people were killed in the violence linked to Monday's polls. The results were announced by the head of the Electoral Commission, Jean Mensa. It is my duty and honor to declare Nana Akufo-Addo as president-elect of the Republic of Ghana. May God bless our homeland Ghana and make our nation great and strong. Let peace reign. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari says his administration is investing heavily in military equipment, including aircraft. There have been numerous recent attacks by militants in northeastern Nigeria, leading to criticism of the government's handling of security. The BBC's Mayani Jones has the details. What is perhaps most notable in President Buhari's latest statement on insecurity is how little he talked of the troubled northeast. He only mentioned the region, which has been rocked by terrorist attacks for over a decade, to say his administration had done well there. 
The statement comes less than two weeks after 43 farmers were killed by militants in Borno State. Instead, the president insisted insecurity was worse elsewhere, namely in the south, where he said oil installations were sabotaged daily. Speaking about October's anti-police brutality protests, he said violent demonstrations would not be tolerated. And finally, details have emerged of an agreement between Khartoum and Moscow for Russia to establish a naval base on Sudan's Red Sea coast. The deal signed last week will allow Russia to keep up to four Navy ships, including nuclear-powered vessels, in Port Sudan for the next 25 years. Analysts say the move is part of Russia's attempt to reassert its geopolitical influence. In 2017, on his first visit to Russia, Sudan's former president, Umar al-Bashir, asked President Vladimir Putin to protect his country from United States aggression. Bashir has since been ousted from power and is being held in prison in Khartoum. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Amid continued arrests of public figures for alleged corrupt practices, Malawi has disclosed plans to set up a court that will specifically deal with corruption cases. This comes as Malawi commemorated the Anti-Corruption Bureau in Blantyre on Wednesday, which was presided over by President Lazarus Chakwera. So far, the new government has arrested more than 10 senior former ministers, including government officials, with the latest being former Minister of Land and Deputy Minister of Water on corruption allegations. George Manko has more for Blantai. Malawi has not done well in the fight against corruption, despite strides being put in place by previous governments. The more Ibrahim governance survey of this year, likewise the Transparency International, rank Malawi poorly. It is against this background that various commentators during the anti-corruption day made suggestions on how to deal with corruption which they say has affected developments in the country. Governance expert Moses Mkandawire of the Church and Society had this to say. We need to look at uh, the lifestyle of our public servants. We know there are some public servants that would receive like 300,000 per month. But you discover the property they have is almost equivalent to about 2 billion. Where are they getting the money? So I think lifestyle audit would be part of the strategies that you can put in place. And I think that would be very, uh, very important. The other issue is about asset declaration. I think we have seen people declare their assets when they're entering, you know, offices. But when they're exiting from those offices, they are not. And I think we need to strengthen, you know, that area. I think it's very important. Other issue is that, uh, thanks a lot for a proposal that we put in place to ensure that we have a specialized code uh, to address these issues. But I think it was also important that we strengthen the uh, national prosecuting agency because I think we don't have one and I know the challenges that are there at the anti-corruption bureau uh, but I also know the challenges that are there at the director of public prosecutions but I think that's another area that we can you know focus on because we can keep on arresting people arresting people if we don't see the final conclusion of those arrests then that would be a tall order. President Chakwera feels concerted efforts are vital to fighting the vice. However, Yunus Ntenda, a parliamentarian and chair of the Legal Affairs Committee of Parliament, laments of poor funding. The second presenter touched on the need for us to uh, create some specialized courts. There is indeed a need for us to create some specialized courts, 
but I was looking at the low funding. So there is need for us, as we are considering opening up these specialized courts, we should also uh, increase the fund the judiciary so that other cases have nothing to do with corruption should not be uh, suffering. Technocrats have also said there is need to introduce some subjects at primary and secondary school level that will inculcate the culture of Ubuntu. Professor Adres Malata, Vice-Chancellor of the Malawi University of Science and Technology, explains. It was I do believe that in Tichewa, Ubuntu matters. And Ubuntu, you don't learn at school, you start learning at home. The way people nature you in that village, in that home, matters a lot in life. And I would want to see this somewhere embedded, I think, as you look through this document. And of course, ensure that each curriculum has got some ethical issues. What has come out clearly on this anti-corruption day is the establishment of a court specifically for corruption cases, increased funding to the Bureau, introduction of more Ubuntu subjects on governance in primary and secondary schools. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. South Africa's Health Minister Dr. Zweli Mkise says they are looking at calling off all public events such as sports tournaments, entertainment festivals, closing beaches and parks across the country during the festive season. This as coronavirus cases spike across the country. Mkise was speaking during a meeting with stakeholders from the Sarah Batman District Municipality in Port Elizabeth on Wednesday. Mkise says the National Command Council is currently deliberating on various proposals received from mayors and premiers to contain the spread of the virus. Mkabisi Nkrina reports. Some of the proposals made by different municipalities under the Sarapadman District Municipality to cap the spread of this virus include the closure of beaches and public swimming pools to allow only alcohol takeaway from taverns, suspend the initiation season and to reduce the curfew to 10 p.m. Koha and Makana local municipalities are the hotspot in the district. Sarah Padman District Municipality Speaker's Karan Zadayim says the district is on the border of Free State, Western and Northern Cape, and this could also contribute to the increasing infections. Sarah Padman, uh, it surrounds Nelson Mandela Metro. Nelson Mandela Metro is in the center of Sarah Padman. So if you go to Sarah Padman from Sarah Padman, you have to pass through Nelson Mandela Metro. If you come from the Tutsukama in the borders that uh, link the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape, you are going to Makanda, you have to pass Nelson Mandela. Equally, Sarah Batman is surrounded by three provinces. It is located in the borders of those three provinces. Minister Mkiza says they are looking at prevention measures to avert the spread of this virus in those areas that are not hotspots currently as part of summer season safety. He says the National Command Council is looking at proposals to stop all public events during the festive season. Activities of that nature are what we normally call super spreader events and that's what we need to avoid. It's a very difficult time. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, it's a time when we should be all relaxing and enjoying ourselves and uh, entertaining ourselves. But we have to choose uh, entertaining ourselves at the risk of someone getting sick and maybe even losing lives is actually not a, a very responsible way of doing things. Mkiza says another proposal they are looking at is finding people who are not wearing masks in the public. People just simply just not, they've just ignored the mask and that's why we're actually at this point. This uh, uh, outbreak has come out come up much quicker than what we initially expected in terms of uh, uh, you know, what we've observed in a number of other countries. And part of it has got to do with the complacency and the fact that uh, the issue of the masks now seems to be optional. And so uh, we need to be able to firm up on, those, on that particular issue. Following a meeting of National Command Council and also the Cabinet, President Cyril Ramaphosa will make an announcement on all the summer season proposals, including those from the Sarapatman District Municipality, in the Eastern Cape. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. 
This is 1000 African Voices and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live for from Johannesburg in South Africa. The international community needs to provide support for countries like South Africa to make a just transition away from fossil fuels and over-reliance on coal as an energy source. That's the view of the United Nations Secretary-General who sat down in an exclusive interview with SABC News just days ahead of the fifth anniversary of the Paris Climate Change Accord. Antonio Guterres again warned that the world was heading in the wrong direction that a majority of countries were simply not living up to their Paris Accord commitments and that the annual $100 billion required to capacitate the Green Climate Fund had to become a global priority. He also touched on vaccines in the context of COVID-19, relations with the African Union and the developing situation in Ethiopia. Sharon Bryce-Peace reports from New York. Guterres continues to warn that the planet is broken, that humanity is waging a war on nature and that the response to COVID-19 and the planet's repair must be two sides of the same coin. The Paris Agreement is not being implemented by the majority of the countries in the world. So we are going in the wrong direction and we see it in nature. Nature is striking back. I mean, temperatures are rising, the ocean temperature also rising, we see the Arctic melting, uh, we see um, floods, hurricanes, worse than ever, uh, we see drought, uh, and the African continent has been the victim of both floods, uh, drought, uh, hurricanes. I mean, uh, nature is striking back, we are in the wrong direction. He lauded countries and regions that have committed to zero emissions by 2050, among them the European Union, the incoming administration of the United States, Japan and South Korea. China and Brazil have committed to zero emissions by 2060. What is defined in Paris is that we should have a common responsibility, but a differentiated responsibility according to the characteristics of each country. So it, uh, I cannot ask South Africa to do the same as my own country, Portugal, that hopefully will close all coal power plants uh, in 2021 or 2022. Uh, it's clear it, it should not be like that. But it's essential that, uh, first of all, there is a important support of the international community to South Africa for the investments that are necessary for the transition. And the transition in itself is a creator of jobs. I mean, uh, according to the uh, ILO, to the International Labour Organization, the green transition will create 18 million net jobs, which means there will be no, more jobs created than the jobs that will disappear. But that doesn't solve the problem of the people that will lose their jobs. And so we need to have programs, and that is what just transition means. It's programs of support to the populations impacted by the fact that some activities will draw down. And that means training, that means reskilling, that means uh, job creation, that means regional development programs creating alternatives of activities. On the current pandemic, we raised the action of the US President Donald Trump who on Tuesday signed an executive order which aims to prioritize shipments of a coronavirus vaccine to Americans over other countries and asked the UN chief to weigh in. We need to avoid any kind of vaccine nationalism. We need to make sure that indeed the vaccine is a global public good because that is for the benefit of everybody. And this has two dimensions. Um, in any country, um, the whole population of the country needs to be protected. Um, Portugal, my country is a country with the, it was, we, we always were a country of emigration, but now we are a country also of immigration. So the migrants that live in Portugal need to have exactly the same rights to vaccination as the Portuguese citizens. It's in every country, all residents need to be treated equally, because if not, the vaccine will fail. On Ethiopia, the United Nations has lamented the lack of unhindered humanitarian access, while corroborating reports of human rights violations and abuses in the Tigray region. In my recent conversation with the Prime Minister, I said, and I have to say that there was a positive reaction from his side, and I hope things will improve, that it's absolutely essential to have the rule of law fully uh, in place, to have full respect for human rights, 
and to have a serious program of reconciliation. I mean, uh, the government has refused to have a mediation with the, the leadership of the um, uh, Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's essential to avoid that we enter into an interethnic conflict. Guterres also indicated that there was a systematic effort underway within the UN to support African leadership in the solution of African problems, while acknowledging that Libya had presented unique challenges which should see greater collaboration moving forward. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pees in New York. Chairperson of South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission, Glenn Mashinini, says he is happy with the manner in which the by-elections taking place in 24 wards across the country are proceeding. Mashinini visited four wards in Benoni, east of Johannesburg, on Wednesday to assess the IEC's operation and the way in which voters are conducting themselves. He says there have been no disruptions in voting reported and that all stakeholders appear satisfied with the commission's performance. Busi Chimombe reports. It was a very upbeat IEC chairperson, Glenn Mashinini, who visited the wards being contested in Binoni, Ekuruleni. He says after consulting officials across the country and other stakeholders, he gives the commission a 10 out of 10 in the manner in which the by-elections have been run. The, the reports we received, yes, we opened on time. In fact, they were there hour or more earlier and I had the feedback from the political parties as well as the officials and also I've spoken to a few of the voters everybody is saying thumbs up to the Electoral Commission of South Africa and thumbs up to our uh, leadership in the province here in Pauteng. They've done an excellent job so far and we hope we maintain this record. Approximately 170,000 voters are registered to vote in this by-election where 24 wards across 17 municipalities in all the country's nine provinces are being contested. It is a hotly contested race in which 77 candidates representing 14 political parties along with 18 independents are running. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic, Mashinini believes the turnout will stay on trend with past by-elections. We are also confirmed by, by the previous by-elections where, statistically speaking, there was no variance between the, the operation and under normal and under the COVID conditions. So we hope that that track record will be continued. That's why we are urging all those who are eligible to vote today to come out in their large numbers, to come and vote. The operation is safe and the speed is very fast and uh, it's a festive environment. Everybody is happy and everyone is uh, looking forward to the outcome of these results. A spat between Mashinini and EFF Secretary General Marshal Zamini at a voting station in Recha Park, El Dorado Park in Gauteng, appears to be the only incident marring the day. Zamini was aggrieved by what he termed unfair treatment of the EFF when he was removed from the station at the time Mashinini was visiting. According to Mashinini, this was due to party agents and not party officials being permitted in voting stations. Lamini. We are stakeholders here. We came here, we spoke to the officials of the IEC, we want to sign the attendance register. Because the thing is a chairperson, some celebrity, he comes there and says to people they must, uh, they must throw us out of this voting station. There's nothing special about him, he's just an employee. And he must learn to respect us because we've got no business with him. We came here, all officials are coming here, ANC officials have signed attendance register. There can be rules for EFF, we'll never allow nonsense. Confidence was high amongst those contesting the polls including independent Audrey Stain, running in Ward 27 in Binoni Ikuruleni. She says despite the disappointing performance of independence in South Africa's elections, change will come. The independents stand for the community. It's a community vote. They still stand in council. They still have the voice. So I think... Um, it's educating the community on what the difference is between a political party and what it stands as an independent. And I only think that's where the gap is. Once the gap is, has, been, has been closed, I'm positive that independence will, next election, show a lot more voters and possibly win a campaign. Bucking the trends of the low turnout for by-elections relative to general elections and youth apathy, Michaela O'Connor, 
cast her vote in the same ward, explaining why she believes it was important to do so. Um, yes, also first-time voter, I believe that if you don't vote, if you don't do your part to contribute, you don't get to have a say in how the country should be run. And um, yeah, so that's why I'm here today. Also very last-minute decision. Voting continues until 9 p.m. with results for the by-elections expected on Thursday. That report by Busi Chimombe. The National Council of Provinces in South Africa had its last sitting for the parliamentary year. Delegates of the NCOP ended their work with the customary farewell speeches. Like their counterparts in the National Assembly, they also reflected on the impact the COVID-19 pandemic had on the country and how Parliament functioned. Zaline Merrington has more from Cape Town. There is not one portion of society that was not impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. NCOP Chief Whip Seiso Mohai paid tribute to those who lost their lives to the virus. We dip our heads in honour of many honourable members and colleagues who have passed on this year due to COVID-19 and other illnesses. They remain permanent part of this August house and our hearts shall remain with their families we must also honor those among us who have survived the demon of COVID-19. He lauded his colleagues across the political spectrum for the cooperation during the year. This year alone, there were critical moments where we spoke with one voice on fundamental issues which affect our people across provinces. This is a supreme test of responsible leadership. We have also demonstrated a great sense of honesty in expressing our differences on fundamental questions of policy as evidence of multi-party parliament that this house is. This has indeed been inspiring and demonstrated the maturity, the maturing nature of our democracy. DA Delegate Kathy Labaskagni says while the pandemic had a devastating effect, it had some benefits. We have to adjust the way we conduct business of Parliament while still serving the public we represent to ensure change needed. With this in mind, I would like to reflect on a few issues and activities of the NCOP in 2020. We recognise and applaud the NCOP for utilising existing technology for Parliament to continue work during lockdown on the virtual platforms of Zoom and Microsoft Word. Some of us are still struggling with connectivity that we hope will, will be addressed as virtual meetings for Parliament is one of the positive results of the coronavirus crisis that I think should be utilised in future as it is cost and time saving. Wearing a mask, sanitisation and keeping a safe distance has become known as the new normal. But Freedom Front Plus member Arman Klute has cautioned against what he calls another new normal. It should never be the new normal for politicians to make, make bigoted statements. And let me remind this House and its members, a racist is, a racist is a person who is prejudiced against or hostile towards a person or people on the basis of the membership of a particular racial ethnic group, typically one that is minority or marginalised. EFF member Mabautu Mukau said decried the several instances of corruption that has come to light around funds allocated to fight the pandemic. The vast majority of our people who are black people suffered crippling anxiety because they did not know where their next meal was going to come from or whether or not their hospitals, which had been dysfunctional for years, would be able to take care of them when they get sick. The whole nation chairperson looked on as food, funds, resources, meant to alleviate the suffering of the poor, were once again redirected to the bottomless pockets of the ruling party elite. 2021, House Chairperson has to be the year that our people cement their break up with a party that has overseen the deepening of their suffering. NCOP Chairperson Amos Musondo added that he was proud of how Parliament managed to continue with its work. We were aware that our country's terrain would present us with challenges when it comes to connectivity, which is a matter, I guess, that still confronts us as we move into the future. We reframed the rules to make provision for virtual house sittings and the sittings of committees. I'm not one to sing praises in every available instance. But I'm happy to say that 
We have done sterling work in spite of the circumstances. For example, in respect of legislation, we have passed 21 bills this year. It's 7.29 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. In the headlines, South Africa is officially in the second wave of the coronavirus. The country has breached the 6,000 mark in new daily cases in the last reporting period. The National Election Commission in Ghana has announced that President Nana Akufo-Addo has won re-election with 51.59% of the vote, beating out his rival, the former President John Mahama. And details have emerged of an agreement between Khartoum and Moscow for Russia to establish a naval base on Sudan's Red Sea coast. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you. And seven landholders under Ingonyama Trust held land who claim to have been dispossessed of their land have approached the Peter Marisburg High Court in South Africa's Natal province seeking relief, wanting the trust conduct be declared unconstitutionally invalid and unlawful. The applicants are accusing the Ingonyama Trust of undermining their security of tenure and extorting money by unlawfully compelling them to sign lease agreements and pay rent. They also want the court to establish a process to cancel their lease agreements and to recover money they have paid already. Fanele Mklongo reports. According to the founding affidavit submitted to the Pretamarutsberg High Court on the 6th of November 2018, the seven individual applicants have been forced by the Ingonyama Trust and the traditional councils to sign lease agreements on the basis of false or incomplete information. The rental varies from 1,500 to 7,000 rand per annum depending on the size of the plot. The Ingonyama Trust is the custodian of close to 3 million hectares of traditional communal land or 30% of land in the province. Amazulu King Kudwil Zweritini is the sole trustee. The applicants are the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, KASAK, Non-Profit Organization, the Rural Women's Movement and seven individual applicants. A legal representative of the applicant's advocate, Tembegan Gogaitobi, argues that land occupation under the trust is legally insecure and makes tenants more vulnerable. Advocate Ngogaitobi also argues that this is a direct infringement of the constitution and the primary objective of the trust was to siphon off money from the tenants. When these leases were concluded, there was no genuine informed consent. These were imposed from the top. Secondly, the trust and the trustee do not play the role that is envisaged in legislation. They have become lessor, landlord, which is incompatible with trusteeship because a landlord is interested 
in the property and not in the interests of the beneficiary. The applicants also accuse the Department of Rural Development and Land Affairs of failing in an oversight role over the protection of the leases and the dereliction of duty, as well as negligence on the part of Parliament in addressing the matter. What has clearly happened has been a constitutional vacuum that the minister has completely distanced herself from her duty to ensure that the rights of the residents of the Ingonyama Trust land are constitutionally protected. And this is why the Trust has increasingly encroached upon those entitlements. She must be directed by this court to step back into the bridge and to perform her duties. The accusation was dismissed by advocate Ishmael Semenya, who is representing the Department of Rural Development and Land Affairs on the basis that no one else has the rights over the land but the Ingonyama Trust Board. One stopping the board from, doing, from granting leases, as I, as I will demonstrate, it is not open for the minister to do that. And as as the unkind words were used, uh, she played dead or she lay supine. Even that is not the type of constitutional conduct that is contemplated in one Ingonyama Trust Board was taken to task by the full bench. They wanted to know who benefits from the leasing of the land as it should be benefiting the tenants instead of the board. Ingonyama Trust Legal Representative Alistair Texin explains. You benefit because it means it then gives you the exclusive use over that piece of property and you can use the piece of paper that you've been given that gives you the exclusive use to get other rights. But it's, it's, it's the benefit that you, you already had when the property was taken away from you. But you can't get a loan from the bank on the allocation. That's, that's what the evidence is. The civil trial continues on Thursday morning. I'm Fanele Mklongo in Pitsamaritzburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Culture and Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The first edition of the Africa Young Innovators for Health Award has been launched. The award aims to support young entrepreneurs with their pioneering solutions that equip and protect healthcare workers. Three award winners will receive funding of up to $40,000 to bring their healthcare innovation to life and benefit from a business mentorship program. The International Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers and Associations and the public health organization Speak Up Africa jointly launched the award at the just-concluded Galian pre-forum Africa session, which focused on youth leadership. Speak Up Africa's Maile Ba explains the rationale behind the initiative. 
First of all, as we all know, 2020 has been a year like no other. And above all, the COVID-19 pandemic has proven the importance of investing in, in strong healthcare systems, not just financial aspect, but also the human aspect. And this is, I think, the biggest rationale uh, behind uh, launching this award is really uh, supporting our health systems and the core of our health systems, which are the health workers. And why? It's because they are the backbone of a well-functioning health system. So this is why we, we really thought about this award. And uh, as we all know, you know, um, although Africa bears 25% of the global disease burden, the continent only makes up for 2% of the global uh, health workers. And uh, this deficit is, is really uh, uh, has a huge burden on, on our health system. And this is why we, we really thought that um, this award was important. Uh, furthermore, you know, uh, young people in Africa must be uh, the people that will um, solve the, the the problems of our continent, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs on our continent, but most of the time they are not supported. And uh, this award aims to really support young people and uh, empower them and give them the tools and uh, the the mentorship to really uh, be able to follow their dreams and uh, and uh, and and solve the problems of our continent. It has been uh, a year like no other, a year that has also seen the advent of the fourth industrial revolution the era we find ourselves in where intelligent technologies permeate all aspects of our lives do you think governments across the african continent understand the importance of healthcare innovation well um, I think that governments understand it, but I think that maybe they, they should uh, invest more in, in the innovations for health and in, in healthcare systems um, in general, first of all, and then in our research and development. I think this is really an important aspect and we really must um, prioritize this aspect because this um, we must find our own solutions and, and governments, I think that they know it, but sometimes uh, there are are, uh, you know, like um, other priorities and other problems that they, they aim to solve. But I think that health, research and development, innovation, young people, all of these are all aspects that are crucial to really uh, achieve the SDG, the Sustainable Development Goals, and to put Africa on a path of uh, sustainability and well-being for uh, the one billion that we are. Of course, uh, this award is uh, the first step in the right direction in terms of encouraging young people on the continent to be more innovative. What more can be done to whet the appetite of young people in the continent when it comes to matters around innovations in healthcare, science, technology? I think that, um, first of all, you know, uh, financial resources can be allocated. And uh, also, I think that, uh, you know, um, universities and uh, and mentorship programs and all of this must really uh, also be prioritized. I think that we have the young people. We have the, the largest uh, generation of young people of all times. And uh, most of them are, are on the African continent. And I think that if we give them the, the right tools and the, the right support, Support, then people will be young people in Africa will be capacitated and will be empowered to find uh, solutions that are innovative. They have the ideas, um, no doubt about this. And uh, we really, with this award, we really want to make sure that they have the support and the the, the capability of really uh, showing us that 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 their ideas are scalable and that they can really help uh, our health workers across the the continent. What are the plans for the future? for this initiative, Mile. Well, I think that uh, this is the first time that we are launching this kind of award, uh, Speak of Africa and IFPMA. And you know, there are a lot of awards on the on the continent. But I think that uh, this initiative, we really want to uh, make sure that it's uh, durable and that sustainable. And we really want to make sure that each year we will be able to uh, support young innovators with different themes. This year, we choose the themes of the health worker, which is also the the, the, the official theme of uh, the World Health Organization for 2021. So uh, we really want to make sure that in the health 
um, sector. We uh, every year we can come uh, with a different uh, theme and uh, the same award and really empower and support uh, young people across the continent. And how many entrepreneurs are you aiming to assist with funding? And if you can also take us through the application process. Sure. So uh, applications will be open uh, starting January 11, 2021, and all applicants must be aged uh, between uh, 18 years old and 35 years old at, at the time of applying to the award. They also must be a citizen or a national of an African country. Uh, with this award, we really aim to support um, three winners that will be receiving funding uh, up to uh, $40,000, and that will be placed on a three-month business mentoring program with inspiring entrepreneurs uh, who have um, already bring up their ideas to life. That's Maela Ba, Strategic Communications Manager at Speak Up Africa, speaking to Kumbelo Munjelele. Our economics update up next with Tabi Sulohoku. Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. The Zambian authorities have formally requested a financing arrangement with the International Monetary Fund to support their reform efforts. The fund is currently assessing this request. Last week, Zambia opted to bow out of a 42.5 million euro bond repayment, becoming the first African nation to default on its debt in the COVID-19 era. The country's debt profile has been spiraling in recent years owing to issues predating the pandemic leaving creditors wrangling over who should take losses on loans. South Africa's Department of Public Enterprises says that the newly appointed SAA board comprising of six non-executive members will be charged with ensuring the smooth implementation of the rescue plan and restructuring of the embattled airline. The department says that the board will work to restore proper governance at SAA. Naledi Ngobo has more. The board will be led by Jeff Greener, a qualified chartered accountant and former CEO of the Industrial Development Corporation. Other board members include Peter Chiseve, a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, June Crawford, an aviation and tourism professional, Bembe Zwane, an aviation entrepreneur, Edna van Hart, a military science academic, and Nick Fadugba, an aviation professional. SABC News, Johannesburg. South Africa's freight and logistics company Transnet says it has noted the statement issued by the Commission of Inquiry into state capture with regard to consultant firm McKinsey. The state-owned company says it is owed just over 80 million US dollars by McKinsey and insists that the amount must be repaid in full. Transnet has also confirmed that no final settlement has been reached with McKinsey. Up until last night, discussions were still underway between Transnet and McKinsey, with the main point of dispute being the repayment and interest earned on McKinsey's fees. In a statement, Transnet says contracts associated with the regiment's capital. The fee paid to McKinsey totaled $45 million U.S. million. Furthermore, Transnet says interest cost relating to these payments is close to $37 million U.S. million. The Central Bank of Eswatini is exploring the implementation of National Payment Switch. This will enable instant payments, local card and point-of-sale switching and open banking. This was said by Central Bank Deputy Governor Felicia Lamini-Unene during the launch of the Eswatini Fintech Working Group at the Royal Swazi Convention Centre earlier this week. An experimental rocket belonging to U.S. entrepreneur Elon Musk's SpaceX company has exploded while attempting to land back on the ground. The 16-story-high Starship rocket was uh, being tested as part of the company's plan to eventually carry humans and cargo to the moon and Mars. Earlier this year, South Africa's South African-born Musk stated that Starship is his number one priority beyond the Falcon rockets he routinely flies for satellite companies, the U.S. Air Force and NASA. The BBC's Gareth Ballow reports. 
SpaceX has revolutionized space travel, successfully developing and deploying reusable rockets, and its Starship craft is no exception. Despite exploding as it touched down at the firm's Texan test site, the boss of SpaceX, Elon Musk, was delighted with the project's progress. The next prototype Starship rocket has already been constructed and will take to the sky once engineers have analyzed Wednesday's failures. In time, the vehicle will be combined with the super heavy booster to create the most powerful rocket ever constructed to take humans to the moon and to Mars. The US dollar is trading at 379.38 Nigerian Nara, 10.83 Botswana Pula, 110.40 Kenyan Shilling, and 21.1 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, one US dollar costs 5 rule 13 Russia, 73 rubles 53 India, 73 rupees 59 China dollar is changing hands at 61.53, and in South Africa it's trading at 14 rand 94. The US dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro looking at commodities markets now gold is trading at 1839 dollars and platinum 1006 dollars per ounce while brand crude oil is at 49 dollars at 10 cents a barrel it's channel africa coming live to you from south africa Our sports update up next with Figle Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we begin with athletics. Kenyan Olympic selectors say they welcome the new headache to select a team to Tokyo. For Kenyan Olympic selectors, it's a good headache to have. Record-breaking performers at last week's Valencia Marathon are now pitching their tent in Team Kenya offices seeking tickets to the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. New half-marathon world record holder Kibiwot Kandie says he wants to emulate his role model and fellow soldier legendary Paul Tegat, both on the road and track, and wants a ticket to compete in the 10,000 meters on the Tokyo track next year. Meanwhile, World Half Marathon record holder, women-only race, Perez Jepchichir and Evans Chebed, who won women and men's full marathon races in Valencia and in course record times, are also confident Athletics Kenya will respect their form and consider them in the Olympic marathon team for Tokyo. Cricket South Africa, CSA, has confirmed that the Proteas will travel to Pakistan for their first tour since 2007. A trip will consist of a two-match test and a three-match T20 series across three venues in Karachi, Rawalpindi and Lahore, respectively. The tour is scheduled to run from the 26th of January to the 14th of February 2021, with the team arriving in Karachi on the 16th of January. CSA Head of Medical, Dr. Shoibi Manjra, is confident of a tour to Pakistan and Sri Lankan tour to South Africa. We've already had discussions with Sri Lanka and Pakistan I mean, we've kind of commenced this discussion over a month ago in terms of our tour to, to Pakistan and the Sri Lankan tour to South Africa. So, so I very much hope that those tours will, will go ahead because we're taking the necessary precautions for both tours, the incoming tour the, and the outgoing tour. And, and certainly the tour, uh, we, we're hoping that Australia will come here as well in March. Bafana Bafana in Orlando Pirates captain Tulan Shatwai says it is time for each and every player in the team who have never won any silverware to break that cycle and write their own history in the club's books. Pirates are favorites to win the MTN8 Wafa Wafa final against Bloemfontein Celtic. The two sides lock horns at the Moses Mabida Stadium on Saturday evening. Yes, Pirates coach Joseph Zinbawa. We are very glad we are in the final. I think it's a first time for me, yes, I know, but uh, it's also a good point for the club. Yeah, it's a long time ago, we have a chance we, we can win a title and uh, yeah, we have on the weekend a good performance, but not the result, what we want, but the, the performance, um, it's good for me to focus for final. I have the feeling um, in the second half, the guys come now and uh, understand what we have to do for next weekend. 
in rugby news Namibia Rugby Union NRU Chief Executive Officer Theo Grunewald says the financial grants that will soon be coming from the Continental Rugby Governing Body Rugby Africa will be used for various developmental projects. NRU is among the four rugby unions in Southern Africa that got the nod to receive grants from Rugby Africa after it was announced that it would grant the euro equivalent of about 336,000 US dollars ahead of the 2021 season. Across Africa, 11 of the 39 unions on the continent will benefit from the grant. And finally, President of the Rwanda National Basketball Federation, Ferwaba, Desire Mugwiza, has declared his intention to run for a third term and is expected to sail through as no one has declared to challenge him. The elections are scheduled for the 12th of December. Mugwiza was elected Ferwaba president in 2013 to replace Eric Kalisa Salongo, who resigned at the time citing personal reasons. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That's a wrap of Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magaza, technical producer Murray Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Culture Clan with a song titled Africa. Goodbye and keep safe. Welcome to my humble prayer. Sing Gotta stop spilling and start chilling. Time killing instead of king killing. You feeling me from the tip to Egypt? We gotta get equipped for the next G. Turn of millennium, can't be stopped with alien. The rise of continent from the depths to where? To the heights and never dropping, kid.